This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, everybody. Yet another week. This is episode 216. It's nice. It's nice. It's fall. It's cold. It's great. Everybody's killing deer. There's the fall run for fishing's kicking off. This is your boy, East Coast Trev, and I'm joined by my good buddy, Mr. Madman Mardik. Could I get some intro music? You want, I was. You know it's funny that you say that? It's super funny you're th- saying that. Today when I was driving down the road, I was literally thinking of how I was going to do the intro today. And I was like, I think I need to hit Mardik with some, like, I'm thinking like some Stone Cold Steve Austin <laughs> intro music, dude. And like, we just like, boom, it's there. All right. I was thinking something. Similar, but the way things have been going for me, it, I think I need like circus music because circus? that's what I feel like in the woods lately. You know, we we could bring it back to the old East Coast days, bro. We could have straight like guest intro music if that's what you want. Like we can hit you up with some good intro music if that's what you need. I, I need something to change my luck because lately it's been like dun, 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 like <laughs> fucking pulling up in a clown car lately because it's been <laughs> it's, it's been uh, some series of events why why is that though why do you say that do you want the good the good side or the bad side i don't think it really matters you're gonna give it to us anyway so well the good good part of it is i did not get sprayed by a skunk this week hey got that going for me um dude i just i don't even know where to start i i my bow fell out of the tree saturday oh that's right i remember that now yeah um what was the cause of that? Like, so I figured it out after because I was baffled at the. So, long story short, um, I went in, hung in the dark, five fifteen. I think I was like set up by maybe mm-hmm. my bow is by five. Right at nine thirty six, my gear strap gear strap drops four inches, and my bow just does a slip out of the tree. You know, I thought it. it it sounded god awful. Like, like some high, it. like some high wire acrobats kind of thing. Dude, yes, just front flip all the way down. Arrow goes flying. I I cried for a little while before I climbed down and checked it, and <laughs> everything appeared fine. Nothing seemed damaged. Like the arrow, even like the knock wasn't broken from you know impact or super. Everything seemed fine. Went home, shot my bow at twenty, dead on. Shot at third, like nothing. Nothing was wrong yeah. with it, but um, so I figured out what happened. It was it wasn't the gear shop's fault or anything. Um, when I hung, I hung just below like uh like a split in the tree, 
So where my gear strap ended up, it was right where the tree started to like taper out a little bit. I didn't notice it in the uh... dark. So just below that gear strap, the the tree was just a little bit narrower, and it it just wasn't you know the weight of yeah bow on one side, my backpacks on the other because the right. backpack side side that dropped a little bit, and when the backpack side dropped, you know three inches, the bow side was just enough to toss that bow out of the tree. I mean, I I was speechless, man. Like I could not believe that it was Chez bloopers, but only it's me, and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, bow was fine. I shot it a lot, you know, that afternoon, mm. or, you know, lunchtime, and uh, everything seemed fine. I've been through I, that a million times. I mean, just yeah. dropped the bow out of the tree. I mean, everything like it just that's part of it. I mean, that's part of being elevated, I guess. You know, like just. I guess it's never happened to me. Never even things, close to happen. Things go up, they must come down, right? I mean, that's just the way it goes. Yeah, was, was that Newton's law? <laughs> I guess I Thomas so, Everson or something. Yeah, and then uh, Sunday afternoon, I had my first encounter with a vegan anti hunter as I was going into the woods. Yeah, well, like you know, I almost thought, I almost thought honestly today I was going to have the same same exact thing after you telling me this story the other day. I'm. I was kind of scared, but go ahead. What happened with you? I pulled up. It was Sunday afternoon, so I'm at, I'm on I'm going to public, but I'm parked on the side of a main road, and um, there's some cows there. And I got out of my truck, get dressed, you know, full Huntworth, full camo. I'm putting I'm taking off my Hey Dudes, putting my boots on, and this van pulls up, and this lady gets out, and she's like, uh, "What what are these cows doing?" So I look at the cows and I say, it looks like they're eating. <laughs> and she's like, well, what, what do they do? And I was like, eat, shit, you know, just do just cow things. She's like, are they rescues? And I'm like, no, they're, they're beef cows. And she goes, oh, I'm a vegan. And I'm like, what do you eat? And she's like, plants. And I was like, I'm sorry. And she's like. Oh, what are you sorry for? And I was like, my cows are eating your food. <laughs> so, um, she, so she's just going Steve on about Wood. <laughs> she's like going on about rescue cows and all that stuff. And like, I'm, I'm trying to be as polite as I can, you know? Um, so I, I told her that I was, you know, on the agricultural committee for the town and, you know, maybe we could talk about something about a rescue cow program or something. So I, I asked her, I said, do you have cows that need rescuing? And she's like, well, not for slaughter. And I'm like, okay, like, I don't know what to tell you. So I, I'm also watching the clock, right? Cause I, I'm trying to get in the woods. Yeah. Things are happening yeah. here. It's time so to I go. go over. I go over to my driver's side and I open up the door and I take my bow out of the truck and right. come back around as I'm talking to her. And finally I was like, listen, lady, I would love to chat with you all day, but I, I have a date with a deer this afternoon. And uh, she, she flipped me off and started to walk away. And I'm like, hey, what was that for? And she's like, because you kill animals. And I was like, well, they eat your plants. So I'm I'm just protecting your plants. So you should thank <laughs> me. And she got in her car and she left. And the good news was I came out and didn't have any flat tires or smashed windshields. So I guess that was a win. Yeah. So that was the first. It happens. Whatever. She's upset. She's upset. I mean, hey, you know, it's not the first time. You know, it won't no. be the last. It is what it is. I was nervous today because the piece of public that I was on was previously a farm. 
And 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 walking out, there was an older lady with a cane or whatever, and she must have been picking vegetables. They still farm it, right, agriculturally. And I was super nervous. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm not trying. Or they weren't supposed to be there, whatever the case may be. And the first thing that she says to me, she says, "Did you catch anything?" I was like, "No, didn't bring my butterfly net. Like, (laughs) wasn't wasn't trying, you know, like." But I didn't, I didn't say it. I was just like, no, I didn't see what I was looking for. You know, I've seen a couple, but just not the mature deer I was looking for. And she's like, oh, she's a nice fall afternoon out here. And, you know, the norm, right? And I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah. Thank God. Got to go. You know, it was just, it was super weird. But, you know, like those are those things that you get, you get touched by. And it, whatever. It is what it is. You got to be ready for it, I guess. Yeah. Sometimes but, I find myself in certain depending on where I am, um, if I see or hear hikers coming, I, like, pull the Homer Simpson, and I, like, back, back into the bushes, and, like, <laughs> crouch down, and I let them walk by, and then once they get, like, 30 yards past me, I just come popping back out of the bushes and then head the other way, because why, out of sight, out of mind, right? Like, yeah. they know you're there, they know you're allowed to be there, they know it's hunting season, but, like, I don't There's know big signs there, like, that yeah. say, like, it's hunting season from October to December, like, right. They're wearing but, orange. Maybe you should wear orange, kind of thing. Yeah, but they see you, and then they tell their, "Oh, I saw a hunter," and yeah. where you were, and then they start snooping around. Like, no, just I don't even want you to know where where I was. Like, just it's like you know the- it's like being in a tree stand and people walk underneath you because I've like you know I've hunted a lot of like suburb urban areas and like the people start walking by and they're underneath the stand. They don't even know you're there. They're just walking the dog and the dog's running around barking at you, but they don't know that it's barking at you. And the people are yelling at the dog. And, you know, I actually had a crazy scenario, like maybe three to four years ago. And I was inside, I was in a stand, not all that high, probably the lowest I've ever hunted. And there's a walking trail to my South. And, Three or four people walk by. They had a dog, right? And they're walking by. And the guy, I can hear the guy saying to the girl, ha, ha, that sucks for him. He's not going to see anything with us walking around the woods. Ha, 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 ha. The kid's such an idiot. Ba, 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 ba. Whatever. So I can hear him, and they're walking. And I can hear him walking up this trail, walking up this trail. And then they get up, and they get on top of this ridge. And the dog starts hollering. And I'm like, oh. I'm like, oh, that's never good. I'm like, yeah, whatever. So I'm watching, you know, I'm watching, you know, due north. And my northeast, I kind of like glass over. And it was pretty close to probably one of the biggest bucks I've ever seen on public land. And he must have been bedded up on that ridge. And the dog ended up spooking him down to me. Uh, I didn't get a shot at him or nothing. But, it, I mean, I seen the deer after they had, uh, you know, obviously kicked him out. But. If they're on the trail, they're used to seeing people. Super, super. But I think the dog barking, I think, had a lot to do with it. But, like, pushed them off or whatever. But, like, I don't get upset about that. Like, a lot of guys you'll see on a lot of these hunting pages are like, you know, oh, should I I get out of the woods? Somebody just walked by me. God, no. Like, if you see these deer that are in some of these areas that we're in – you can literally see them off the trails, and they literally like. And I've watched deer before, like being in stand, and people walk by, and them deer just pick up their head. They watch you walk by. When you go out of sight, they go back to doing what they're doing. You know, as long as you don't step off the trail or out of a motor vehicle or whatever. I mean, they're just so accustomed to seeing you guys, so it is what it is. So like somebody walking by, sometimes like 
you know, when you hear stories of guys with like big bucks, like people walk by and then this big buck is trailing down your scent right behind you and you don't even know it and guys will shoot the yeah. buck. You know, like that well, happens Rob, a lot. Rob Cody's big buck last year had something to do with that with a, a guy had just walked through or something. Mm-hmm. Well, they get um, a would... lot tracking, too. Guys that are tracking, they're tracking deer, and then what happens is the deer goes back on the track and then starts to fall to see what it is, you know? So it's the same exact right. principle, you know? That was actually the third part of my circus weekend last weekend was um, I had two hikers and a dog come by, and I was on I was on private, right? right? And I recognized who it was, and, I mean, I could have said something, but better – uh, again, out of well, sight, then there's not mind. a conversation with two people right. in the woods, right. and and I was, I went into the spot in the morning and found some some really good sign, and they're probably accustomed the to that person walking in the woods too, right? Correct. To to problem, an extent, the problem was they walked, and I was, I was 15 yards off the two track, they you know that I came in mm. on, and um, set up on some really good sign. Um, I knew where this buck was going to be bedding and I'm just hoping he comes out of there before, before dark. And these two guys and a dog walk by at like five fifteen, which is that's prime time, right? That's like that last right. hour. Um, and same thing. Like they walked by, they never saw me. I'm, I'm literally, I may have been less than 15 yards from them. They did not see me. I let them walk by. I told myself, I said, you know what? Maybe the deer's accustomed to that. Maybe the de- maybe they do it all the time, right? Maybe the deer's gonna. Maybe the deer waits for them to walk by, and now he's gonna get it. It's his, you know, he knows now right. to get out of bed and and come by. But the thing is, I I knew the the I recognized who the people were, and I knew what they were gonna do. So I knew that at some point they were gonna come back by me, mm. and I'm like, you know, what? I'm just gonna stay in the tree until they until they go back by. And dude, they went by twenty minutes after legal light. So I'm just like, you gotta be kidding me. Like I can't catch the break between rain or, you know, quality hunts getting ruined mm. or morning hunts getting shortened by, you know, suplexing your bow out of a tree. It's like, phew, I think get- in, in this weekend's not going to be any help to you neither. Like Saturday's yeah. going to be a shit show anyways, windy and Friday, Saturday, are both going to be windy and rainy Saturday. Windy Sunday. Sorry. Right. November's coming. I'll tell you this. Man, I've been so the past three days. I've been trying to find this one buck. Like I, I found a ton of sign on him on Sunday on public land. Couldn't hunt, but I went in and scouted. We've been waiting for this wind to come so I can get on that side of the road. Hmm. Little bit more pressure in that piece than I had expected. Right? It was like I hadn't seen a bunch of cars. I had hunted the opposite side. Blah 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 blah. Sunday I went in there. There was two trucks parked there. I walked up on one of the guys setting trail camera, didn't even know I was there. Whatever. I found what I needed. So I had backed out and I almost headed back. I was just kind of grid searching my way through to head back. So I turned off and went back. I went in there and hunted one morning. Didn't see anything in the morning. That night, seen a couple of deer, whatever the case may be. This morning, didn't hunt this morning. And then this evening... Um, those does came back. I mean, the wind had switched from a southwest to a northwest, and there's a big buck in there. Like, definitely a big buck for sure, man. He's definitely in there somewhere. Um, the does are in there, you know. Uh, put good three good solid sits in on him. Uh, 
I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'm gonna, I'm gonna move off. I was thinking about hunting there again, but it's like, how many times do you sit there? I think if I wait another week or so, I mean, it might be a little bit better. I don't know. It's just, I don't have no cameras, no intel. I'm right. just kind of hunting the sign. So, with uh, no cameras, you he could be right where you think he is, and you might be set up in the right spot. He's just not coming out before. Yeah. Shooting late, you know. I think that's the fun part of it for me. Like. I mean, it's been so long that I've hunted without cameras and still that anticipation. Like, when you're sitting in that set, man, and, like, bro, that next movement is the movement, you know? But there, you can tell with being that way, like, you know, I'm not set on cameras, like, saying, oh, this deer is going to come through here. Like, that, that straight woodsmanship that we always talk about, like, it's nice to to be able to do that and not have to follow cameras, like, I know everyone's probably like, yo, this dude's crazy. Like, there's so much technology out there. He probably could have killed that deer already or whatever. But it's been it's been kind of fun, right, where, like, you just yeah. kind of go in and find the sign. And I've been super successful in other states doing this and not hunting cameras. So, like, to do it at home, I'm happy with it. You know, like, to go in there, right. I found the sign, been able to do what I needed to do, and hopefully, you know, then then capitalize on it. But it's good to see that. There is sign in there, and there's good bucks, dude, and I'm just going to haunt it, right. you know? Like, and I don't know what none of, my, none of my other spots are, so I'm going to go hunt two more spots uh, tomorrow, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, maybe one Friday morning before the storm, and then uh, be back at it Monday morning. So it's been it's been kind of fun, dude. And I'm on deer. I'm on deer. I'm on, yeah. you know, it's funny to say is I'm on deer more than if I had cameras. Like, I used to run 16 cameras. And, like, we'd go into a set and not see deer and shit. Like, now, like, trying to put forth that effort in woodsmanship and hunt it like I should be hunting it. I, I've i yet to have a sit this year. I'm sorry. The other morning I didn't see a deer. But literally every single sit that I've been in on, except for one out of five sits, I've been in deer every single time. Like, shootable. Like, I could have killed deer every single time. But, like, mm. I didn't. You know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah. it's kind of fun. You know, it's just waiting for the right one. I know it's going to happen. So, it's, it, dude, it's it's about to crack. And and let's be honest, that red moon shit, that didn't do us any justice. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. I went to my stand. It said that, what, yesterday it was going to, that the deer were going to come in at what, like, 249 two, yeah 249 my ass dude i didn't see a fucking chipmunk at 249 in the afternoon fucking I've never, useless i've never seen a correlation with the the actual times that they they spit out i mean i'll look at them and it'll make me get a little bit more excited to see the dates red but i can hunt i can hunt i'm it, not it's not it's crazy in. so like in the fishing world like and it, and all animals, you know, mammals, you know, every heartbeat and fucking thing out there, like, obviously we're all on moons, right? People act fucking crazy on full moons, like, we know that, like, all shit goes to hell on a hell moon, on a full moon, right? People are wild, you know, drive down the road, people, just humans are fucked up on a full well, moon. Lately, it just seems like it's just a full moon every day of the <laughs> month now, because everybody's just fucking crazy. It's, it's true, but, like, so in the fishing world, like I was saying before, like, the fishing world, like, you always, the correlation of catching fish or fish runs are around full moons with the gravitational pull and the tides, and I could bore you with some shit, but in all reality is this, 
five days before a full moon and five days after a full moon are phenomenal fishing days, right? Like the the moving of more fish coming in, they're feeding a lot harder. The tides are running faster. There's a lot of shit that correlates with it and things are really good, right? The day of the full moon, the actual day of the full moon are probably some of historically for me are the worst fishing days ever. The day, the actual day yeah. of. I could say the same thing about deer hunting from, from personal mm-hmm. experience, right? Not not regurgitating something I read or no, heard. And I'm not regurgitating podcast. anything either. Right, exactly. Real life experience, right? Like leading up to a full moon is the best activity I have in the woods, in the tree, sure. and on camera, and mm-hmm. after. Um, I don't I don't care what color it is. I don't care if it's a red moon, purple moon, blue moon, but it doesn't you know, affect me. Blood moon. Leading up to and after, yeah. Um, hey, known fact, there is no blood moon this year, Lou says. I saw that. Um, <laughs> Meteorologist Lou says there's no there's no blood that. moon. Um, you know, now that I think about it, though, we should try, look into having maybe a um, red moon expert on the podcast because I really don't know much about it. Is there red moon p- professionals? I'll look into it. I'll do some research. Yeah. I, um, I mean, like, like, listen, dude, like, obviously leading up to it, has been some of the greatest greatest days in the hunts, right? Like we, you know, in the rut, like you're always looking for those full moons and so on and so forth. Fishing, same way. You're always looking for those moons, you know, because they, they do. Like, dude, if you gave me a full moon in July, five days before, five days after, bro, I'd give my left leg for that. August, same thing, before and after. But the day of the moon, like I tell all my customers, don't book the day of. Like it's the <laughs> worst, dude. It's genuinely the worst. Like, and that's not even purposely doing that, but it's like just historically seeing that and how the fishery plays effect in those days. Like, dude, my biggest fish come in the full moons of July and the full moons of August. I've caught more fifty plus pound fish on those two those those two full moons, July and August, than I ever have in my entire life, man. Like they're they're some of the best. And I and I you know, November you're looking for that too. You know, you're looking for those full moons. You know it's about to happen, that it's gonna kick off that rut. Like, you know, like that's just the way that it goes, but that whole red moon shit's yeah. garbage. I mean, I don't know that it's birds. not gonna kick off it's not gonna kick off the rut, but I there's, I, you're going to see more activity, but like, for instance, like, uh, not this Saturday, the following Saturday is full moon, right? Mm-hmm. October 28th. It's a Saturday. I'm not, I'm off. A lot of listeners are going to be off. I'm not going to not hunt because it's a full moon. Right. It, like it's Saturday. I'm going to no. be in the woods. It's just historically. How many times has the jury chart said that it was going to be a bad day hunting and you went hunting anyways? How many times I said it was going to be a great day and you don't see shit. <laughs> and you went hunting anyways. So it doesn't it doesn't really correlate, don't man. Don't get me wrong. I check it every time. And if it says it's going to sure. be great, I feel a little bit more excited. But I'm not, I'm not yeah. going to hold my breath and I'm not going to plan my hunting days around it. You know what I mean? I hunt yep. when I can hunt. Speaking but. of success, man, do you got a killer's corner for us? I know there's a couple of good ones in there, man. I do. I do. Uh, I lost it, though, because I was looking at the moon chart. Uh, first of all, I got shout outs to Alexander Fagan, mm-hmm. Gene Humphrey, and Stephen Carpenter because they actually reached out to me with a little um, advice to get rid of the skunk smell in my clothes. Yeah, Appreciate did it work? You guys. Uh, I didn't really get 
to I, I stuck with plan A, the one that we had originally planned for. Yeah. And, and that worked. So oh, I, didn't it did. really, I didn't really have to go with um with their advice, but I had a backup plan. So it's crazy. But, it's I'll touch on that real quick. Baking soda, hydrogen peroxide, and that stuff is the major ingredients in sent away. Mm. So just call it for what it is, but yeah. that was kind of uh, where we went. So. The other one that came up a couple times from um, uh, the one Alex and Gene had sent me was a little bit of Dawn dish soap too, right? Because Dawn dish yeah. soap's a it's a degreaser. Degreaser. And the uh, skunk spray is oil. Mm-hmm. That's why it's thick. So, um, but anyways, uh, appreciate you guys for looking out. Um, and oh, the other thing too is uh, Alexander told me that skunks take about a week to ten days to build their gland back up to spray. So she told me I had a window this weekend. Even if I ran into him, he wasn't going to be able to spray me again. So <laughs> that's good and knowledge. Then, yeah. And then the other thing we talked about, she said, if I get a chance to uh, to catch that little bastard, um, if he is all white, she said he'd fetch me a pretty penny because I guess the the more striping they have, the more white in a skunk, the mm-hmm. more money they're worth. Mm-hmm. But um. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would sell them, dude. I think I kind of want a skunk hat. You know, I have a actually it's right behind me. I got my coonskin hat right here. I think yeah. I want a skunk skunk skin hat, but <laughs> I got to catch them first. Yep. Um, <clears throat> shout out to Ryan Mack and Jackson Hardesty, both with nice does, and they both obviously they must not listen to podcasts that much because they're both calling for the return of Killer's Corner. So obviously they haven't listened to the last mm-hmm. couple episodes. Uh, they would have heard it, but shout out to you guys. Sam Whitehead with a doe a few weeks ago with the sun. Bro, Casey Carpenter. Certified killer. Certified. Certified. Give that boy a sticker. Um, he went out for youth pheasant season. Shot some clay pigeons first, and then he got himself two pheasants. And uh, He's on and like every out. week. Turkey season, duck season, now pheasant season. We're just waiting on the deer season. It's coming. I can. I would put money on it. Mm-hmm. And then, and then Alexandra Fagan again. She shot uh, her first early season muzzleloader buck in Iowa. Nineteen weeks pregnant, getting it done. Yeah. <laughs> in the hunt and too. And she's ready. And she's ready to start trapping, dude. She was Snapchatting me the other day about she was trapping, dude, doing some nuisance work for one of the towns. She's a killer, absolute killer, man. One of my favorites. Cool. For sure. She was actually, I had a little thread going with her between the skunk thing and all yeah. that stuff. And um, she actually had uh, picked up some Hauntworth mm. at uh, Farm and Fleet, I want to say, whatever, like equivalent to our tractor yeah. supply. And uh, saying how impressed she was. Like a with, Royal King. Yeah, sure. And uh, she's just saying how, I forget, she, I forgot exactly how cold she said it was out there, but she said it was like super cold with the wind chill and all that stuff. And she said she was really impressed with uh, how warm it got her. That's awesome. Well, speaking of uh, our sponsors, let's thank those guys and let's get this podcast underway. Uh, Huntworth, Huntworth Gear. Guys, if you guys aren't using Huntworth, use um, the promo code RUNT. It's RUT20CT, right? HNT. Oh, it's HNT20CT. Correct. All right. Well, it's hnt 20 CT, correct. It is the rut sale, 20% off of all everything on there. They are a our premier leading partners, Huntworth, 
Huntworth gear. It's about to get cold, so you guys want to get that heat boost. We're actually lined up with Elkin at this time, but soon to be up in that heat boost. Um, some great products, man. One of my favorites. I I put it through the ringer, dude, and it's still lasting out. Uh, Nor'easter, nor'eastergamecalls.com, guys. Still a couple of grunt tubes, not much. They are flying off the shelf. I was talking to Mark the other day. He was saying that he was sending them out all over, so make sure to get on over there, nor'eastergamecalls.com, and check those out. Uh, also, Latitude, Latitude Outdoors. Um, I'm pretty sure that rope upgrade is still in the works. So if you guys are upgrading your 10 millimeter ropes, make sure to use the promo code rope upgrade on that one. Save yourself on that. And then everything else, make sure to use the promo code outdoor drive. Save yourself. It's like 15 to 20%. What's that? The outdoor drive promo code is kind of dangerous for me because I've been kind of like just picked up a new pair of knee pads. Like I wasn't a knee pad guy. When I first Have you used them. the Latitude knee pads? I, so I had them a couple of years ago, and I w- really wasn't a sitter. Right. So, so and Brower was looking for a pair, and I, you know, I wasn't using mine. And I think they were sold out at the time, so I ended up hooking Brower up with them. And then this year, I found myself wanting to sit more, and I'm like, shit, I don't have knee pads now. Mm. So I used the promo code, got some more knee pads, and I'll tell you what, it's a game changer, man. Like they're for one, they're really good knee pads. It's crazy though, like the thing with the knee pads right it's like one extra thing to throw in there it's the same with the back band you know what i'm saying like it's simplistic right so how long are you gonna sit in the tree you know like what are you gonna bring like i go to put my backpack on dude i don't even want to weigh my backpack i should have been rocking with you because rocking with me you're making fun of me the whole time when (laughs) i was rocking i felt like Um, i was rocking been rocking back and up and down the mountain dude it's freaking ridiculous you can wear your knee pads in for sure for sure. Uh, I don't wear my saddle in. I always put in the backpack. And, and then with the back band, you know, I run the method too. I see no reason for a back band with the method too because I can pull that upper upper part of the saddle up a little higher. So you know, I'm in the classic. Yeah, so that's a little different. So it's you a little different. but yeah. yeah, it is what it is. But last but the story, use the promo code. Yeah. I'm, I'm using it. You Outdoor drag. <laughs> uh last but not least bowhunters united guys bowhuntersunited.com make sure you get on over there it's a free free website tons of giveaways they're doing some great things over there make sure to get on over there and sign up for that it's a free they're advocates for us as bowhunters in the political world make sure you go and check those guys out um yeah, they're great people. Make sure you go and check out all, all of our sponsors. They're right down here. The link's right down here below. And if you guys are all in it and you guys are clicking links, make sure to head on over to our YouTube, hit the like, subscribe button, and don't be afraid to give us a five-star review on all any of the platforms that you are listening to the podcast. It only helps us grow, and we appreciate everything else. And, hey, there might be some merch over on theoutdoordrive.com. The link is down below, so you guys can click on that. Um some good stuff dude so we want to wish everybody a good week it's getting close to the rut man it's it's that time dude the pre-rut is underway people Uh, there's some good bucks dropping dude there really is like some studs it's starting it's it's kicking off man it really is you look ahead like so it's wednesday the 18th right now right right we get we get through this week next week it's it's what we were just talking about, right? Like it's that yeah. it's the yeah. five days leading up to the full moon, which historically mm-hmm. is always always good activity. But look at the dates, dude. 23, 24, 25, 20 like stellar that, dates. 
that's no that's scrape you know they start hitting the scrapes real hard they're gonna start responding to some calls some rattling possibly mm-hmm. like it's gonna it's gonna pop off very soon here you know so it's crazy so like the last week of october is my go-to week the first week of november is your go-to week like i've shot historically my biggest deer in the the last week of october you've shot your biggest deer the first week of november so like those two weeks are those weeks and it it just takes a little bit man with this with this full moon falling on those down that last week of october forget it it's game changer absolute game changer in my opinion i would agree a little bit yes i shot my biggest buck to date on november 2nd but historically i'm a big like six seven six seven eight nine ten eleven for sure um bow bow wise right and then Mm -hmm. you get in you get once you get to gun season forget about it like i can't tell you how many big bucks i've killed like 12 13 14 17 18 19 20 21 but but archery, yeah, I'm looking at six, six through Veterans Day. Mm. Yeah, eleventh is always like said, a touch once, off. Once we get into next week, man, from the 25th on, just forget about it. Get in a tree, right? You know. Well, let's break it out over to Nakai. Enough for the deer talk. Let's go talk about something wild and crazy up in the way, uh, wilderness. Way cooler than us. That's way for sure. cooler for sure. Let's go check them out. We're back on the phone with Nakai, man. It's, it hasn't it hasn't been all that long of a time since we've talked since the last time, man. How's everything been, dude? Everything's been really, really good. No complaints over here. No, is it is it crazy being back home or and and knowing that you're not gonna be able to accomplish what you accomplished on your last travels? It it's definitely bittersweet being back home. Uh, there were it was a blast out there, but I was itching once september 15th hit and i was out in the woods back there i was thinking about back home here how you guys were doing so it it feels good that's awesome man well why don't without further ado why don't we get this thing underway why don't you tell everybody who you are where you're from and a little bit about what you do yeah so my name is nakai northup um and i have a company called res life outdoors which shares indigenous perspectives on hunting fishing cooking and uh, land stewardship and education. And I'm just passionate about the outdoors. I grew up hunting, fishing, harvesting from the land. And that's really my passion on passing it, passing it on. Uh, but also being able to travel different places and different communities and be able to hunt with people from uh, all over. Absolutely. And for you guys that, that missed out, if you guys go back a couple of episodes you'll see Res Life, and that's Nakai. And we did a full-on interview about him and his business and so on what he does. The reason that we're having him back on this week is for – he had an amazing trip to Alaska. And we had talked a little bit about it on the Blast podcast, but we really want to – We it happened and things went absolutely haywire, so we kind of want to hear about it, man. So 
I guess without further ado, why don't you just tell everybody, just start it off where it started. Take us through the whole entire trip from start to finish, all the little details, man, because it's it's absolutely amazing to watch this whole thing unfold. For sure. Yeah, so um, I, we have some family friends, uh, Steve Pearson and John Matson, and they've been going, Steve's been going out to Alaska for 30 years, and he started going out with his father, and then... John started coming along about 23 years after, uh, ago, and they've formed some really awesome relationships with some tribal communities uh, and different members of different nations out in Alaska, uh, specifically in McGrath, Alaska, a small little town about an hour flight from Anchorage uh, past the Alaskan Range, right on the Kuskokwim River. And uh, my dad has gone out with them a couple times. They went out, uh, last time my dad went was 10 years ago, and the last time he went, John actually got attacked by a grizzly bear. And, uh, yeah, he didn't hit it the best and was letting it, gave it like an hour and a half and wanted to get in and track it, got into some sick stuff, and the bear was on him in no time. And John wears the scars of that to this day. They got the bear uh, the following year, and he never skipped a beat. He's gone every year since. But... uh some crazy experiences have happened out at this camp. Hold and on, time out. Before so, you get too crazy into this, now this is – this. I, we didn't even know about none of this. Take mm. us through – like, what What do you know about that? Because that's got to be absolutely insane. Yeah, so they – John was literally on his hands and knees trailing blood. And my dad and Steve were, I think they said, about 30, 40 yards to the left of him. And as John was looking – he just saw bushes start folding down and could hear the grizzly roaring and it came in on him and he went to go lift his gun and he shot it as it was getting ready to run by him. And when he took that shot, as it was running by him, it turned and came right for him. It bit the gun, threw it from his hand, which spun him, uh, bit him on the butt cheek, flipped him over from there, bit his stomach then worked his way up to his head. He put his arm over his head like this, bit the scalp he has an eight inch uh scratch on his skull from the grizzly's tooth uh tore his head his scalp was hanging over his head and uh weather conditions weren't good they were able to get the shoot the bear the bear ran off and died but they were a mile from camp they had to hike back to camp they tried uh calling in to get uh medevac weather was too bad they had to cancel the flight two three times and they didn't get out there until the next day and got him into Anchorage and were able to, to save him. Uh, they stayed up all that night just trying to keep him awake. Uh, they wrapped him with, like, a lot of their gear on their head, trying to do as much to control bleeding. But, yeah, they, they ended up saving his life. He ended up pulling through, and uh, he's gone every year since. He's never missed a beat with it and was able to also get the bear. Wow. That got him. Yeah. <laughs> that's insane like you you know the thing about it is like you hear about all this crazy stuff and everybody obviously like like you going into it you had some type of fear right because and especially after hearing that story but like yeah. all these hunters go through all these motions like you know we had a good friend josh Stubbs that was going and he was going to hunt grizzlies from a tree stand and obviously there was these emotions that are going through you like we're going to be in grizzly territory and grizzly things happen in grizzly territory. So like, I'd imagine that you went through that too, but then to have that story on top of it, 
I could only imagine the feelings and the emotions that you went through. For sure. So we we get into McGrath, and we had a couple weather days uh, where we couldn't fly into camp, and it ended up finally clearing up, and we only missed like a day of hunting, which wasn't bad, and we were able to fly in. We get into camp late in the day, get set up, and that first day we can hunt after flying, we head over to our glassing point, and it's an absolutely beautiful mountain range. Uh, and being, you know, an East Coast boy, I'm not used to spotting and stalking and being able to glass mountain ranges and valleys. And uh, it was quite the experience seeing blueberries all over the ground in September. Um, and we get over to the glassing point, And the first thing we see down in the valley is uh, we were confused at first. And like I said, they've been going for 30 years. And we were looking at it, and we were like, hmm, is that a black bear? Is it a grizzly? At one point, he was kind of sprawled out and stretched out. We're like, is it a wolf? And out there, the, the community is really big. The tribal community is really big on predator control because they each get one moose tag a year. And that moose meat goes a long way in those uh, tribal communities and in those small rural Alaskan uh, communities. So they had a, a problem a couple of years back where they had to restrict hunting. They made an agreement to restrict moose hunting for five years in certain areas just to get the population going. And then we're able to fight with, you know, lawmakers who have no clue what's going on in these communities and having to live off substance uh, to get predator control in. So wolves were like, if they were like, if you see one, please take them. So we thought it was a wolf. And then he sat up and we were like, shit, that's a, a big grizz. And we were looking at some caribou that were up on a, a ridge that we were on just higher up. And he was down low in this valley. And they looked at me. And they said, well, do you want to go hunt a grizzly bear? And, you know, I've never seen a grizzly bear. I've never seen anything. And, of course, knowing that story. And I was kind of looking at the caribou. I was like, I don't know. I might want to go up there after a caribou instead of that grizz. And they were like, well, let's go. And so we started that uh, stalk. And when we got to the bottom of the mountain, you walk down this mountain into the valley. We were about uh, 700 yards from them. Wind was pretty good. The ground there is like, it's like walking on a wet sponge. And then there's a bunch of like ankle grabbing brush. So we were sneaking down. I lost my GoPro on this stalk. So that was rough. But sneaking down, we snuck past him and we got downwind. And we came out into the opening, the valley. There were a bunch of brush patches and then openings. We got into the opening that we last saw him in. And he ended up popping out about 250 yards above us. And we got set up, we had shooting sticks and seeing an animal of that size. And of course, that's the first grizzly bear I've ever seen. So I'm not, I didn't have anything to reference it off to know truly how big it was and uh, just like how amazing of a, a grizz it actually was. But he had no clue we were there and uh, he gave me a good broadside shot and whacked them with the first one and he dropped right down. And he stood up and this is where like you really admire the strength of like some of these animals. You get, you get a strong respect for them. And he dropped, but he got back up and I hit him again and hit high and hit some spine. And that, that was it from there. Uh, we were able to get in closer, finish him off and then kind of be awestruck. So the bear 
right now. Um, he's definitely a Boone and Crockett. Uh, for a grizzly bear, the skull has to be 24 inches, and he's 26 and a half right now is what he's measuring at. Uh, so the people out there were telling me maybe top 15 in the world for grizzly. He's a he's a nine foot grizz, um, and just massive. And walking up on an animal like that, there was there was no ground shrinkage. The hide alone was like. 130 pounds so packing that out plus with like 40 pounds of gear in my pack going back up mountain was uh the hardest thing i did and this was day one like first day being able to hunt first stalk first everything and you know first real experience out there in the bush and it was this massive grizzly um and it's a bigger grizzly than anyone else in the group had ever shot and they like i said they've been going for 30 years and uh, in the time they've been going to this specific camp, they've shot nine sows and only two boars. And he was a, a big boar, which was really cool. Um, so we were able to get them all butchered, pack them back to camp, all that good stuff. The following day we wake up, we go get up to our glassing point, and there's a herd of caribou right where we want them. Uh, they're working our way. So my dad is up to bat. And it's probably 10 o'clock and he drops a nice bowl. And so they, we get them gutted up where they're getting them back to camp. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go keep hunting. I was like, that's your animal. Dad, you can go take care of them. Do what you got to do. I'm ready to hit the mountain more in glass. And I go to the same glassing spot where we found the grizz and I look over and from this spot we spent, this is probably the most, the spot we spent the most time glassing. We saw wolves from here, uh, moose, grizzlies black bears um caribou a whole bunch of game all in this one valley and i sit down at our spot and as soon as i pull out my binoculars i see a black bear just wide out in the open and he's pretty far off and i sat there literally from like 11 o'clock till i was able to get a opportunity to put a stalk at him around five just watching him work his way over he took a nap for like an hour and a half and some brush and then popped back out. And that's that was like new for me, like being able to watch an animal all day long and watch and like pinpoint different game. It was that was a cool experience of it for sure. But then day two with that, my dad got the caribou and then I put a stalk on that black bear, was able to get that black bear at about 187 yards. And again, no clue that we were there. It worked out perfect. He popped out right where we expected um, and that was a, a fun pack out too. I, I realized pack outs in Alaska are a lot different than back home. Um, I, I like dragging deer a lot better than packing out, uh, big bears. Um, and then from that, everything kind of went cold. Uh, we didn't get anything until the last day we were hunting. We saw a lot of game. The rut was relatively slow, uh, for moose. They weren't responding to calls much. We were seeing them almost every day but they were way off in the distance and they weren't really too worried about us uh calling to them uh we had a one close call with a, a moose i put up a video of him uh i used my little mag view to uh look at him through my phone and he got within 400 yards but looked like he was coming our way and then just started cruising and they can sure cover some ground and it gets to the point where we're 10 days without a kill. Uh, 
and it's the last day I fly out the next day because I have to seal the bear, the grizzly hide and the skull. And so it's the last day and visibility is rough. Uh, it's really hard to see, but earlier in that day, we saw seven bulls in a, in a place that we call Muserato. And it's literally the spot where we saw the most bulls all week. And this one valley there, it was just loaded. And seven bulls one day, and they were starting to respond to calls. We were calling, and we were watching bulls a mile, two miles off, uh, start running our way, like following identical trails. We saw there were one section where three bulls came down the exact same trail coming our way. And uh, John who was one of the guides with us and who has been going for a while, uh, was sitting up right past our meat house and about probably 600 yards from camp. And he was calling from there. That was our game plan. There was uh, a stream where we'd get water from, but it's really steep and we didn't want to have to pack uphill. So our game plan the whole time was to try to call a moose as close as we could. John was able to get this one to cross and um, visibility was rough. I was looking through my scope and couldn't see anything. Um, but that scope that Swarovski uh, gave me was really wicked. It has an illuminated rectacle, and that made all the difference. I was able to uh, sneak in a bit on him. He came up. We watched his antlers. Those things are massive. And once you find antler, like once you're glassing, it's crazy. You're looking out, and you're looking mile off and you can just pinpoint and find antler uh sticking out but his antlers you can see him coming up through the spruces and he comes and he gets about 450 yards out and he beds down and it's like seven o'clock at night uh sun's getting ready to go down it's raining there's windows of fog blowing through where we couldn't see him at all and then it's clear and we could see and then we couldn't see him at all so we figured that if we couldn't see him, he couldn't see us. Uh, and we started moving our way closer and just trying to mark where we last saw him. We were able to sneak into about 170 yards and he was bedded down. Um, and set up. I hit him once while he was bedded. He jumped up and I hit him again in just high shoulder shot and sat him down right there and Last day, last chance, I flew out the next day out of camp, um, and it just all came together. I was sitting there at camp the day before, and, like, I've already had a hunt of a lifetime being able to harvest, like, an amazing bear and the black bear as well, and my dad getting a caribou. And this is my first time I've had the opportunity to hunt with my dad in a couple of years, just with things going on in life. And I was sitting there thinking I was getting down. I was like, man, I really wanted to get a moose. And... It just all ended up working out last day, last chance. And it's funny because that's when all the real work started. Uh, when we were gutting the moose, it started to snow. And we were out there uh, quartering and getting everything packed up till about 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning. So when we finally strolled back into camp. And from there, I flew out first, and then we got the rest of the guys out. The moose is a 64-and-a-half-incher. Uh, four times on one side. So he's was all around just a really good bull. They say probably a year out of his prime, but you know, just a, a perfect, this trip was a whole lot of firsts for me. 
Um, and to go three for four on my tags, I had a caribou tag. Um, but to go three for four personally, and then my dad to get his first caribou, um, he's gotten a grizzly, a black bear, and a moose before. So to get his first caribou, it was just a really great trip. We were able to interact with the tribal communities there. Um, and, you know, it was really familiar. It's, you know, thousands and thousands of miles away from home, but it was really familiar. Everyone there rides four-wheelers around. There's no, you know, supermarkets or anything like that. And when they're not riding their four-wheelers in the winter, they have their snow machines and old pickup trucks. Like when we pulled up, when I'm saying when we pulled up, when we landed on the plane to get back into town, they had just trucks on the runway for us. And they're like old Ford Rangers with the crank windows and uh, like 22 bullets and like 1022 sitting in the back window because they have like a bunch of, uh, they call them chickens, but like spruce grouse. And like in town, we were seeing like uh, a mom, uh, a good cow and a calf just strolling around, making around through. Everyone in town has a uh, like a drying house for meat like a big shed with screen all around it and they hang up all their meat. You see moose antlers everywhere. Uh, with their COVID funds, the tribal community selected to get everyone in the community a deep freezer, uh, a chainsaw, a meat processor and grinder. Um, so they they rely on it and they really, hunting is a huge way of life for them out there. So it was really cool to see that, but it was also really familiar. So my, I got a couple of questions with it. So what was the choice of weapon that you took with you? That would be my first question. Yeah, I took a 300 Win Mag. Okay. Yeah, because I remember you had mentioned on the last podcast that Swarovski had given you a site. You had mentioned that and everything, and then you were, you know, working on tuning it in and getting it all sighted in yep. and everything for the trip. And But that was definitely – what did your dad bring for for a round? Yeah, so I I the gun I have a Browning A bolt uh custom barrel on it and uh whereas the Swarski that they gave me was a Z6i and we're shooting Barnes. My dad shoots a Tika. Okay. Um and we got the Swarski all set up with the turret uh for ballistics with the bullet, so any range just dial it up and I have it sighted in good out to five hundred. Um and yeah, it was it was all the gun you needed. Steve brought out uh, a three seventy five. H and H. Yeah. <laughs> and uh Well I guess I guess after the whole scenario with the grizzly bear, man, you bring yeah. a pack of you pack a punch. Somebody's gotta pack a punch. Someone's gotta pack a punch, yeah. Cause that's no that's no I mean that's I mean that's that's the choice of gun for a guide in Africa is a, yeah. a 375 H&H, and the reason being is because it, you can speed shoot it, and it packs a punch. Any type of dangerous game charging, it's it's a fast yeah. relay, and it also it's very dependable when they hit the target, and it will knock them down no matter where they hit them. I mean, it's... And, and you're dealing with dangerous game. I mean, charging bulls, and I mean, everything out there is, it's dangerous. Yeah. So it makes it it makes it kind of crazy, you know. It's it's a that's a that's a fun thing. Was there anything that was like kind of like I know like a trip like that? Like was there anything that was like hard for you or tough being in a, an area that was like that? Like you like struggled in that hunt, like coming from the East Coast to go there. 
Yeah. Uh, one thing that was took me a little while to adjust to was just like range perception. Like I'd look at some things and I'd be like, well, yeah, that's that's not that far. What's that's like three, four hundred yards and would range it and it'd be like seven, eight, maybe a thousand yards. And then you look at something and you're like, all right, we're going to walk over to this point. And I'm like, oh, all right, that's not that far. And it's a half mile away. Uh, so like just depth perception out there, it took a little while to adjust to for sure. Was it because that there's not a lot of trees? Like we, we yeah. judge on trees and. Right. Right. It's trying to find something to base it off. And then the, it just seems like the land is bigger there. Like so vast mm-hmm. that, you know, there's section of trees, but for the most part we were walking, we weren't walking through any trees. It's really open. Uh, it's tundra. And there's patches of spruce and uh, you'll see uh, some thicker like alder and stuff like that. What was there like what were you using when you were in spot and stalking to kind of like move around and like hide behind or whatever, like when you're spot stalking to get through? Because yeah. there's a couple of you, obviously. So you got a lot of bodies moving and you're trying to hide. There, there were some alders that we were able to hug close to. But like that's also like another sketchy part, like. If we were going to, while we're walking together, we didn't ever have one in the round in the chamber. Um, But if we had to walk anywhere solo, we always chambered one up because the grizzlies out there, they were telling us literally just hide in that thick stuff and wait for like caribou and moose to come by and then just come out of there. So what we're using to like walk up against as a wall behind us to not be silhouetted is where the bears hide. And uh, we watched them all the whole time the whole two weeks disappear into brush like that and us not know where they were for hours and then they'd pop back out so um yeah it was a a bit sketchy when it came to that so so then taking it back to that black bear spot and stalk by yourself i mean like dude take us through like the mindset that you had to be in to do this on your own like what even made you want to go there like go and do that on your own and spot and stalk like that's not that's kind of crazy so so that one uh john ended up coming with me he came later in the day um but still it was it was weird because like my dad wasn't there and i was expecting him to come back up but he didn't ever come back up so it was just me and john and we made the stalk and you know he's like all right like be aware be alert be ready and we get down there and like i said we have that that thick stuff to our back and we're walking on the edge of a good open patch we were waiting for him to get into this uh wider open patch and we got down there and he pops up and he's just munching on blueberries we were just watching bears eat blueberries the whole time uh just munching on blueberries and there's i don't know there was this you get that like hyper focus like you're trying to just pick a spot be consistent and like with the grizzly bear i was a lot more like like my dad has a video i'll send it over to you guys and he's like all right when he stops hammer him and i'm sitting there and like i'm like i don't want to hit back because i know what happens if you hit back and i'm like and he's like hurry up like <laughs> and i'm like taking my sweet ass time and i ended up putting the shot i needed to put on him but still just that pressure of like you know if you hit back on a, a bear there there's a lot of danger in that a wounded bear is not something you want to mess with and they know that from experience um so with the bears i had a lot more i was a lot more 
uh, I guess nervous, anxious. Mm-hmm. With the moose, it was just like, yeah. You know that. It's just giant. bigger. It's bigger yeah. than what you hunt anyway. It's yeah. just, it's the yeah. same same thing right i mean it's yeah it's just there and and obviously like like that's an added factor that's a non-trainable factor where like you're not where are you ever going to i mean you can shoot out to 500 yards somewhere you can you know you can practice you know walking up hills and getting you know your you know so you don't fatigue and stuff like that but like there's no training of that anxious nervousness of taking a dangerous animal. Like there's no training of that. And when it comes down, you better make your mark. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's definitely being able to control emotions, control your body because I mean, my, I, my scope was definitely wobbling at first and just trying to, you know, be confident, make sure I, I knew I can make the shot. I knew I wasn't worried about the distance. I wasn't worried about anything like that. It was just, trying to make sure it was all on point and the the terrain was it was wearing for sure like anytime you're going uphill um it was rough you get to points where it's steep stuff and like packing that grizzly hideout like i said that was day one that we were able to hunt and that was the hardest thing i've ever done uh hunting wise and like you know you nothing out there was easy and there's points where I was taking like 10, 15 steps and I'd have to stop because I was completely out of breath and then go some more, another 10, 15 steps, catch my breath, go. And it was just steep and rugged as hell. Did you do any kind of physical or endurance training leading up to the trip or what, what did you do? Yeah. So I was doing Lantern Hill uh, with a weighted pack, uh, like 40 pounds, what I was going to walk around with like usual. Um, and that was my main, I started running a bit. Uh, so I, I started rucking this late this summer. I got into it a little late and, uh, Lantern Hill is actually one of my goals at the end of the summer. And I, I just never got to it, but it's on my bucket list. Like next summer, I am definitely rucking to the top of Lantern Hill. It's a good one. That's did you go up, did you go up the steep side from Winnichog or did you come up yeah. like from, uh, from the pond side? I go up Winnichuck side, yeah. Yeah, that's I'm doing it. Well, let's do it. Let's let's make it a point. I want to do it with you next summer for sure. Let's do it. Cool. Let's do it. It because there, there's a lot. What what was like the altitude that you were hunting at? Was it a higher altitude than what we're used to? So it's about two thousand feet, um, and like I've hunted uh, elk at like eleven thousand feet. So altitude isn't something that it wasn't too crazy. Okay. Um, yeah, I didn't know if that yeah. played a factor in in a lot of the physical endurance. I mean, we're we're all, all three of us are bigger a dudes, bit, yeah. you know. Like, right. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, there were definitely times where I'm like, shit, my fat ass out here. <laughs> yeah. sure. And they and they were like, everyone in town. It was funny. Everyone who saw me was like, man, you brought a good packer this year. Like, <laughs> I had a specific job when I was out there. It was to carry heavy. <laughs> <laughs> The t- all and that's all the people of the tribe and stuff that were kind of busting on you. Yeah, everywhere in town. The we went into the Alaska Fishing Game Office in McGrath, and they were like, "Ah, you brought a packer. Good job!" Like everyone, <laughs> that's just their go-to. If they see a big dude, yeah, you're meant to be carrying meat out there. Why is it a lot of the guy? They're a lot smaller, obviously, in size. Or there's some smaller folk, but there's a there's a couple big ones and. uh they just are always looking for young, strong, 
uh, people that carry meat. Is is there something that like the tribes out there like they that they live a different style that like we would or something? Is there like you know? Did you learn a lot about the tribes while you were out there also? Yeah, so they actually have their own museum in town, which was really cool. And, you know, coming from a museum background and serving as head of head of education at the Pequot Museum here, uh, I let them know that I worked at the museum and I'd really like to go. And it's in like a small municipal building. And they um, came and opened it up just specifically for me. And I got to walk through on my own. They showed me around really quick and just look at some of their history and see how, you know, there's similarities with our people's history and then um, all the new and cool stuff there. McGrath is one of the stops on the uh, the dog sled race day I did a rod. Yeah. Um, it goes through McGrath uh, every winter. So they had a lot of the history of that and uh, flying. So a lot of bush pilots uh, from that area, there was so many of those small planes, those small planes, that was another interesting, uh, part of the trip. Uh, six, six being this big, getting in the back of a super cub is, is interesting. Um, <laughs> that, for sure. You to fly out alone, right? Cause there's no room for anybody else on your plane. Yeah, It's just you and the pilot and, you know, landing on mountains and it was, it was definitely uh, quite the experience when it came to getting in the Super Cub and getting out of the Super Cub and being packed up with uh, moose quarters and racks tied to the wings. And it was pretty crazy. So so with that, like, there, you obviously have to trust in your pilot? Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And that person 100%. obviously does it a ton, right? Like, it's not like – I mean, they can land that thing on, you know – the smallest peak of the of a of a island of a of a mountain and stuff like that. They yeah, there's so our pilot, um, who they've built a relationship over a long time. He's a local in that area. They they he's renowned. He's known for his skills and uh, so, so much so that we don't see any people. They've never seen another person while they've been hunting there, and no other plane other than. Uh, the pilot has landed there. Other planes have tried and they've wrecked. Um, <laughs> That's like great like going into it. <laughs> yeah. Even the even the Alaskan state trooper like can't land there, um, and like anyone else. So he's like that guy for, it, and he's known for it. Um, and his dad was uh, a really well known pilot. Uh, his dad, uh, they would do polar bear hunts, and he would land on ice sheets. Um, out in the Arctic to hunt polar bears. What? Yeah, so, crazy stuff. So so the big thing going into this, obviously, is having the good pilot to be able to put you in places that nobody else is able to go. Like, the, obviously, like, that's obviously the full circle in this whole yeah. entire thing. Absolutely. The animals that we hunt there have never seen a human in their life. Now, my question is, like, so you were saying that, that everybody gets, you know, a, as being a resident, are able to get, or that tribe gets one moose tag per family, obviously. So then how how did you get your tag, or was it was it with the state, or it was totally separate? Yeah, yeah it was through the state, and uh, the unit that we were hunting, it's a registration hunt. So, like, fishing game to get numbers, they'll do registration hunts to see how many uh, bulls were harvested and 
general size and things along those lines. So yes, yeah, it was just purchasing a tag, an $800 tag and the registration part of the tag uh, is free and you just have to fill it out and send it back in. Um, but yeah, there's, there's plenty of, a lot of people go out there and are able to hunt moose like on their own. You just need a, a guide for grizz and stuff like that. So you can, oh, so you can hunt moose. Cause I know like Alaska is like super strict on hunting certain animals. You have to have a guide in Alaska. Yeah. You can't just go and hunt anything. So grizzly is one of those Alaska there's, uh, for moose, there's a lot of drop hunt opportunities and like float hunts where they'll like pretty much an outfitter will set you up with a boat, a rowboat and drop you off on a river and you'll float down and be able to call different points. And there was a lot of hunters out there who were doing that. And, and being able, so, okay. So they, they do do that. So you don't need to have a guide to be able to moose hunt. It's just on the grid, on the dangerous game side, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a few animals that they require a guide for. But you had a guide at that point, right? Anyways. Yeah. So Steve and John are both guides where that comes in. So, yeah. So they, they, but they live there or they're from back here? They're from back here. And they were able to register and become guides in the, in, in Alaska? Is that a lot to be able for them to do? Like, is it, or they just over the time they've trained and gotten? I, I think a lot of it is time that they're putting in. And like, for instance, while we're out there, uh, to for Steve to move up a class and guide, I had to record him, um, like fleshing a hide, uh, caping out a bear, uh, knuckling a bear, getting the the paws out, and going through that whole process to send into. Alaska fishing game. Oh, oh, so that there's 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 different tiers. Yeah, that's crazy. That's so cool that they do that, and and being able of being residents here to be then a guide in Alaska. I mean, that's an accomplishment in itself, right? I mean, like that's got to yeah. be insane in in the amount of years that they've spent. I mean, how old are these gentlemen? Uh, Steve is in his sixties. Uh, John is like my dad's in his fifties. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, Steve, Steve's a, a mountain goat for sure. He, you know, he summits Mount Washington uh, yearly, and uh, he's out there running the mountains in Alaska every year. And and when he's guiding, is it just for the hunt that you guys went on, or does he go there a lot to guide for other things? Uh, so he's Dave were telling me about they've gone out and done sheep out there, which is like they were telling me a whole different game, like you know, dangerous terrain, climbing up those shale cliffs with loose rock, having to hike up rivers, cut through brush just to get to start getting elevation. Um, but yeah, he's, they go out and his thing now is he's bringing, like he's brought all his kids, his daughters, his sons. Um, and they try to bring people to be able to experience friends, to to have that experience they are really good dudes do they need do they need volunteers <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> well nikai make sure that you know if there's ever a topic of conversation and they need friends to be able to go that you know me yeah. and steve can be we're we're ready at the drop of a hat we are there no questions asked no <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're kind of sure. we're packing too, you know. Yeah, I mean? we're like, packing, yeah. boys. Yeah. 
for you know, sure. The three of us, we, we look like Packers. You know, we show up. They're, they're not going to let us leave, bro. They're just going <laughs> to The tribe's going to be like, these three dudes, they're in, bro. I don't care sure, what it is. Right? I'm about to start rocking Lantern Hill tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Nakai, was probably one of your favorite things while you were in Alaska? I know maybe not hunting. Maybe it was something else that kind of came to mind or – yeah, um, truly, like, just being off-grid for two weeks was pretty amazing. Like, not having cell phone service, not, you know, constantly picking up my phone and, you know, worrying about what's going on in the world and just kind of being able to soak in truly, you know, sharing that terrain with those animals. Um, and, you know, to have success in their world was was really amazing and be able to have really the full experience. I got to everything that I dreamed about wanting to accomplish on this hunt, uh, luckily was able to happen. Um, I didn't leave Alaska disappointed or feeling like I didn't, uh, try my hardest. And that was, that was really wicked. And then being able to see the people, um, and, you know, see there's a lot of similarities and, uh, feeling very familiar and then just having a a new experience, a new place to, you know, notch that in my belt and say, yeah, I've, I've hunted here. I've, I've had success here and, um, getting a, a, I'm getting a big animal, a couple big animals under my belt and, uh, really good stories to share and a really full freezer right now, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> did did you take? Did, do they eat the grizzly meat, or is that like a? So we we ate a good portion of the meat out at camp. Uh, some people, depending on what they're eating at times of year, some people don't like them because they get kind of like a rotten fish. Taste. Yeah. They were saying Stephen John were telling me about a couple that they've eaten that like they cooked with potatoes, and even the potatoes started to taste like rotten salmon. Uh, but this grizzly tasted amazing. Um, so we ate quite a bit of it. We sent all the black bear home as well. Um, but we definitely ate a good amount of grizzly bear. What do you think it tastes like as far as like meat wise? It was. And don't say chicken. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, it, it was a, a good red meat. It wasn't yep. super gamey. It was, it was. To me, it was very mild. Um, it wasn't excessive anywhere. We trimmed a lot of the fat off, and so that was a big part of it. Greasy like black bear or has its own consistency? Uh, it's it's pretty greasy. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty greasy. Do, do and and obviously like you know like with black bear fat and stuff, they render it down and stuff like that. Is that the same on a grizz too? Yeah, you can definitely do that with a grizzly. Um. And with the grizz, like, I know a lot of the times, like, a lot of the claws and stuff, and they kind of, like, get crazy about that stuff. Were you, were you able to take that stuff home, or do you have to get artificials? I have uh, a giant grizzly in my freezer with all his claws, and I have a good black bear in there as well with all the claws. Um, I'm going to get the grizzly into a rug, and uh, I'm going to put replica claws on him when he's on the rug, and the claws I'm going to take... I'm going to make a, a big wicked necklace with some wampum out of it. I had a feeling that that's kind of why I asked because that's Yeah, there's going to there's definitely going to be a big piece around my neck. <laughs> I mean, that's an accomplishment. 
Next year it's commencing, baby. That's right. That's right. I, I, I do wanted to touch on that real quick, uh, and I didn't really have an opening for it too, but I really yeah. wanted to reach out and, and thank you again because I, I don't think I would have came if it hadn't been, you know, our prior conversation. And I, I had yeah, a really yeah. good time seeing you there and checking it out. Um, saw some old friends, saw some new friends, and it's definitely on the list. I'll, I'll be back next year for sure. Yeah, I was happy to see you there. I was mad at was Steve there. about that whole thing because I had the day off and he didn't even mention it and he just sent me Snapchats and he's at commencing and I'm like, bro, you could have told me. I would have taken the ride down. Like, come on, bro. You know, but it's just busy season. But that's it was cool to see the videos and stuff and, and everything you guys got going on there. That was I'm staying, I'm staying for nightlife next year though, because I left a little early and then I saw the videos you posted later that night and I'm like Ah, I should have yeah, it gets jamming at night for sure. Now, obviously, with being a you know the tribesman and stuff like that's a huge thing for you. Is the grizzly like that's like the monarch, right? For you guys, like it's it's a extremely uh, renowned animal, extremely respected animal, and you know different people have different perspectives on it, um, and. Personally, in my community, everyone has been uh, with open arms and has been like they've been proud about it, um, which is amazing. And like, like I say, like anything we harvest, we always say thank you for. So every animal that I harvested in Alaska, I flew out with a, a pack of tobacco. I actually have it somewhere in here. I was able to pull a shell out of the grizzly shoulder, too. Um, but putting tobacco over and just, you know, I told them, thank you. Like, thank you for, uh, your harvest and told them I've never seen a stronger animal. Um, he was massive. Once we started, you know, skinning him out, seeing just how big his forearm is, is like the size of my damn thigh and just looks like he lifts all day long and the claws on him, just letting him know he was powerful, that he was, he's uh, a great beast and that we'll honor him. Um, and that, you know, we really respect it and he's not going to be taken for granted. And that's, that goes a long way. Uh, that's something really, uh, important in our community. Like when we go out and harvest mushrooms or pick blueberries, we'll bring tobacco and leave it behind. Anytime I harvest a deer, it's the same thing. We're thanking them for that sacrifice and, you know, good stories to come in a full freezer. What is, what is the significance of the tobacco? Yeah. So tobacco in uh really all over north america with the native communities if you want to ask for anything so if you were to ask a, a old timer if you could hunt on his land you'd bring him tobacco or a pack of smokes and a 20 dollar bill uh if you want to go up to a drum group at skimitson um and ask them to sing a special for your family you bring them tobacco it's just a common way to to ask for something or to give thanks for something and show respect. So that's like just pretty like universal in indigenous communities is a gift of tobacco. And 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 that's it's it's just a thankful thing so that you're not taking in and, and granted for whatever is given back, right? Yeah. 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 Lou does that. Yeah, we use it to pray all the time. That's awesome, dude. That's that's super cool. I never I never knew. I mean, obviously I wouldn't know, but no, but that's that's and you still do a lot of that to this day? Like it's is it like 
and I know it's kind of crazy, but like tobacco, like tobacco leaves, or is it like cigarettes, or like what is the? <laughs> we always uh, joke around. I mean, for the most part, we try to use stuff that we we've grown and that we like get gifted. We'll get big bags of tobacco. Uh, but there's been times where I don't smoke cigarettes or anything like that, but I'll ask my cousin, like, sheesh, I forgot my tobacco. Let me get a bogey so I can break it. And I was like, the spirits won't mind. Like, <laughs> it's an A for effort. Let me get a uh, loose. <laughs> yeah. And we'll have to bust that down and use that tobacco. Um, but it's, you know, it's going through the motions and at least, you know, putting in the effort that goes a long way for sure. Is it because, like, Connecticut Valley is a big t- tobacco area or is it just that, in, to all indigenous people that... You'll see it nationwide. Okay. You'll see it nationwide, yeah. It's it's, uh, it's one of our, our medicine plants. That's awesome. That's so cool that... And, and you know, and, and the reason I ask this is because, like Germans... They put the the special green leaf in with the roe deer or whatever the case may be to give thanks because that's what they do among their community. That's why I asked that. Yep. Like obviously that's something that you yep. do, and it's the same thing to give thanks back to that animal for sacrificing its life. You know. Yep, absolutely. Some people put like, you know, like some grass or some brush in the mm-hmm. deer's mouth or anything for its last meal, things like that. Yeah. That's what I, yeah, that's what I was talking about with the Germans. Yeah, that's one yeah, of the things yeah, that they sure. do. They that's a that's a huge thing over there. And I have buddies that live here now that are from there and they still do it to this day. Like they still yep. do it here. You'll see their pictures and I'm like, I'm always messing with Marcus, what are you doing, bro? You know? Like it's just <laughs> cool. It's it's cool yeah. that because I guess I guess and, and not that not for anything, I mean like we give thanks, right? But it's not to that extent. You know what I'm saying? Like I mean like we you know, we, we obviously thank the animal, whatever the case may be, or whatever. What Some people say a prayer and stuff, but I guess, you know, American people are a little bit more, they take a little bit more for granted, I guess, than some of the others that have it a little bit different, right? What are you, what are you saying? Steve, I see the smile. What? I, I was just thinking <laughs> how ironic it is, is what do we do when we shoot a turkey? We smoke a cigar, bro. Get tobacco. There you I, go. You put some tobacco in there. Look at that. Yeah. Oh. I'm, that's hey, our big thing. So while we're on the topic, though, we're talking about, you know, the spirit of the animals and all that stuff. Um, I recently had an encounter with an all-white skunk, and I was hoping maybe I could get a little insight from you and your education. Like, is there any significant meaning to that, or am I just uh, fucked? Well, stay away from him, but... (laughs) I tried. uh, (laughs) He's still going to spray you. Um, He got sprayed. (laughs) I got sprayed. (laughs) Um... They, white animals, yeah, a lot of people associate them with being spirit beings. Um, and skunk is really cool because it comes, that's a Algonquian word. So a skunk is our traditional way of saying skunk, and that's just English adopting that, um, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Uh, same thing with moose. Moose is, comes from the Algonquian language, our traditional language here in the Northeast. Um, so, yeah, definitely... Uh, people associate those all white animals with being spirit beings and in most communities they're off limits um so you just got to keep tolerate being sprayed i guess so so break break your fine for like walking my future and like a successful deer season or something like that but instead i just got stinky hunting clothes yeah you just got you just got some (laughs) funk but you know i always tell people um 
it's really how you feel in the moment, like how you take in uh, that, you know, interaction with any animal. A lot of people ask me about like birds of prey. And in this area, people in different communities out West, people associate owls with like signs of death. And here uh, people were starting to get feelings of that because uh, it's almost like pan-Indian people adopting things just because other tribes are doing it to associate that with being tribal. But we are uh, like a unique people. We have different ways of life, different beliefs. And we have the Great Cedar Swamp that's behind Foxes, behind the museum, takes up most of the res. And in our language, that's known as Uhuamic, the owl's nest. And the Great Cedar Swamp is a place where we'd send our women and children during times of war. So I always tell people here in the Northeast, and specifically in Mashantucket, that I, I don't think the owl is an animal that's associated with death, because why would we send our women and children there to a place called the owl's nest? I think they're our protectors. Mm-hmm. So it's really the, the feeling you get um, when you come in contact with these animals and you know, does it make you feel happy? Did you think, oh, shit, that's really cool? Um, or you were like, sheesh. Uh, and that's how that's how I tend to go about it, is how I feel in the moment. So can you break the wise tale for us then? Then what is the deal with white deer? Can you shoot white deer? Can you not shoot white deer? Pie balls? What's, what's the let, – let's just break it out here. I think my, my personal moral code is uh, I see a pie ball uh, – I'm launching everything I have at it. Uh, and, you know, that that all-white deer, if it's a stud, <laughs> I don't know if I got it in me to pass. I'd, I'd probably feel really bad at first, and I'd probably get cussed out a little bit in the community. But, uh, you know, they, they do tend to have that that status of being untouchable in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, I don't know. That would be a real test of my willpower that day if a, a big stud albino buck walked up. <laughs> well, down. I just send, send you guys a picture. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody else knows. <laughs> is that what I'm it checking. is with the grizzly too? That some different tribes are you cannot kill the grizzly. Yeah. Um, I had a, I had some backlash from the grizzly from a different people, but. It's also people who, a, a lot of times people complain about issues that they don't have to deal with firsthand. And one thing we don't have to deal with firsthand is grizzly bears eating our uh, one of our main food sources. Mm-hmm. Out there in the community, when I came back to the community, everyone shook my hand. Everyone congratulated me. Everyone said thank you. Um, and that's really what it's about. Because at the end of the day, it's about preserving food sources for future generations they said they did a study, and one grizzly bear that they followed around killed 70 moose in a year. Wow. That's insane. So they, it's, it goes a long way. Predator control is, is a real thing. It's important. Everyone thinks that you can have the same amount of coyotes and deer in the backyard, and they're going to live harmoniously. It's, it's not the case. Um, so... Being able to have a healthy balance, and these people do have a strong respect for these animals, especially you know that's what they have to deal with every time they walk in the woods, is the potential of getting attacked or uh, not having moose for their great grandchildren to hunt one day. Um, and you know we can regulate humans pretty well; they do a, they do a really good job at 
their process out there in Alaska, but they they deal with a lot of predators there. The grizzlies hunt black bears. Wow, that's nuts. And that that's that's what they hunt. That's how they survive. Like they, you know, three hundred and sixty five days a year, they're they're getting ready for the next winter. Like that's how they they make it through. Like there is no. Yeah. There's no big Y. There's no, you know, there's yeah. no there's no propane truck that brings heat there. There's no, I mean, that is not the way that it goes. Like, they are still living like their ancestors lived 100 years ago. Like, that's reality. It gets, it gets 50 below out there. Uh, and they, you know, every house has wood stoves. They all cut wood. The whole town is run off of a generator. Um in their busy season in the summer, it's a population of 300 people. Um, in the winter, it gets less because 50 below is going to get a lot of people uh, thinking of warmer places. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they have oil brought in on a barge upriver right into town, and that's where they get all their grocery drop-offs um, and then uh, for their energy, for their power. That's- and something really cool out there is, uh, the Starlink, uh, Starlink, Elon Musk, Starlink, big time out there, uh, came in clutch. That was the only time I had Wi-Fi out in McGrath is when we'd go to someone's house and they had a Starlink and it worked like a charm. Well, they swear by it out there. <laughs> we can't get away from Starlink. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about buying Starlink when I go to the North Woods of Maine just so I can have it. And then I realized I don't want it because I want to be away from people. That that serenity of just not being around people is just so encapsulating, right? Like, it's just so important. I have mixed feelings about it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I I have one one quick question for you, though, Nakai. Being from the East Coast, the Northeast, and going to Alaska, they're such different areas, right? Like every vegetation-wise, elevation-wise, all that stuff. Is there any particular skill sets that you had from home that you were able to apply out there that helped you out? And then also, is there anything you learned hunting out there that you could bring back home as a new skill to help you hunt the Northeast? Yeah, I'd say that uh, patience definitely played a a good role here. We have to be awful patient. We have to, you know, we get to November and we have to pull all day sits and we have to, you know, have little windows where we have to shoot through and we have to be patient and wait for that animal to get, um, to an opening where out there it's, it's vast. Uh, but you also need a lot of patience because there were times where I was like, all right, let's go chase that animal. And they're like, no, just, just wait, let's kick back. Let's see what happens. So definitely patience of a, a, a northeastern hunter for sure, with all the thick forest that we have to hunt, um, definitely plays in. And then something I would bring back is just, uh, I think, really trying to work and tone in on endurance. Um, I think it's really important to try to be the best we can be in the woods, Um health wise because it can definitely kick your ass um and be pretty humbling and out there there was a lot of times where i was like yeah this is is real work um like there's back home if i get a good buck i can call a couple buddies and be like hey come drag with me um out there every part of the animal is heavy even when you cut it into uh six different pieces uh you cut the moose into quarters and then you break the ribs and cut those in half and uh that rack is 
80 to 100 pounds on the moose. So everything is heavy. Um, so definitely endurance, I think, is a, a really good thing. Being able to shoot tired, um, you know, you're trekking, you're on the move, you're covering a lot of ground and being able to, uh, you know, catch your breath, steady yourself and make a good shot is something that is, is really important. And that's something even like back here, I try to do a lot. Like I'll run and then I'll shoot my bow and mm -hmm. I'll try to do it being out of breath. Um, and I think it's really important to practice shooting and not just your regular positions that we think of, not just, you know, standing up right on the shoulder, try to shoot sitting down, try to shoot in uncomfortable positions so that if, as you guys know, there's times in the woods where you have to, you know, improvise a lot. And just being ready for those opportunities is something I definitely encourage people to do. Well, while we're on the topic, I want to know one thing. Now that you've gone to Alaska and now that you're back home, does your answer for what drives you outdoors change at all? You know, uh, get out there and just experience it. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's, I think we're extremely blessed where we get to hunt, where we get to, you know, spend time in the woods. We, and of course, then go to our waters here. We're, we're spoiled when it comes to what we have here, but go out and experience other places, see how other people hunt. Um, being outdoors and being able to see how other people, uh, what drives them outdoors is really important. And exactly what you guys are doing here, taking the time to see other people's passions, how other people go about it and how you can incorporate it with you and things you can pick and choose. I think um, it's really important to try to be as sharp as you can. And what you guys are doing by having conversations with people um, and, you know, asking good questions is really important to be the best outdoorsman you can be. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate it. Nakai, man, coming back on a second time. Congratulations on just an amazing hunt, dude, and just some incredible things. And I I can't wait, you know, on your social media to be able to see more things in the videos and the pictures. And I'm really looking forward, honestly, and why I asked was the grizzly claws and the necklace. Like, I knew that that was going to be a huge thing for you. And, like, I cannot wait to see pictures of that because that's going to be just something – crazy i really really looking forward to it man and I, once again man thanks for joining us can you just let everybody know where they can find you and follow along with all these things and see all the pictures and the videos that you have to you know unveil over the next couple of months yeah so everything will be res life outdoors so it's r-e-z life outdoors all one word that'll be on facebook on instagram uh on youtube and then also reslifeoutdoors.com uh, for more additional information. Um, and we offer programming. We'll have video content. Uh, we have some good whitetail that we'll be chasing soon that we have on camera that are starting to daylight. Um, so hopefully we'll have some, some good bucks down in the near future and we'll put up a bunch of good recipes on how to cook them. So, uh, tune in and I'm looking forward to a really awesome journey. And I thank you guys for always, uh, constantly supporting since the beginning absolutely man well we appreciate it everyone go and check out nakai and what he's got going on and check out all of his good pictures from alaska and for everyone else thanks for taking the ride right here on the outdoor drive <laughs>